podcasts are pretty common. So what makes the Uncommon Podcast uncommon? Well, it's all in our name. I'm your host, Noah Weiss, and we at Uncommon Sports Group understand the unique pressures and temptations that come with a career in the sport industry. We provide Uncommon training that helps you successfully navigate common challenges. Hit the follow button on this podcast. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Check out our website and become Uncommon. What's up, USG fam? Welcome back to the Uncommon Podcast. I'm your host, Noah Weiss, and I'm very excited to welcome Athletes in Action staff member and Denver, Denver Broncos team chaplain Reza Zadeh onto the podcast today. Reza's journey with AIA began in 1997 when he was discipled by an AIA staff member during his time playing football at Colorado State University and since then has been serving the Lord in a variety of ministry contexts. In 2014, Reza, alongside his wife Allison, joined full-time staff with Athletes in Action and has been working with athletes in the state of Colorado ever since. Most recently, Reza was invited to serve with the Denver Broncos as the team chaplain and stepped into that role. Reza, thanks for being here with me today, brother. Man, thanks so much for the opportunity to be here. I'm glad glad to be with y'all. Absolutely. And Reza, I'm excited today to talk mainly through discipleship. I think that's a question that so many people have is, when I'm trying to disciple younger believers around me or trying to share the gospel, what does that practically look like? So I'm excited to talk through that. But before we do, I want to talk a little bit about your journey and your ministry experience and even just what your life was like before being a Christian. So I want to start, you and your family have committed the past nine years of your life to ministry with athletes. Why do you feel called to serve Christ through the platform of sports? Yeah. Well, I think first of all, for me, Noah, like that's how I, that's how I came to know the Lord myself was mm. through athletic ministry. Mm. Uh, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't, well, I didn't, I didn't grow up in a Christian church at all. Um, I grew up Muslim and I was mm. born in Iran, came to the United States when I was young, but when I was at Colorado state, when I was a student athlete at Colorado state, man, I had a, a, just a couple of staff members share the gospel with me. And after knowing me for eight weeks over the course of a summer, they just kind of just got to know me came alongside of me in life and had just shared the gospel, who mm-hmm. Jesus was Yeah, through the way they interacted with me. And at the end, they actually, after the eight weeks, kind of just literally presented me with a little track and walked me through it. Wow. So like for me, like working with athletes is not like, I never thought, oh, I'm going to be someone that works with athletes. I thought I'd be a coach. So right. I knew in some way, shape or form, I'd be involved in sports. Sports mm-hmm. has had a significant impact in my life. I am who I am because of the sport of football and yeah. how it shaped me and how coaches have shaped me. Mm. So to be honest with you, man, I remember, I remember when they shared the gospel with me, I remember specifically saying, okay, I think I'll be a Christian, but I don't want to do what these people do. Like I still want to go about my life and yeah, yeah. I want to be a coach. And then after I was discipled in college and got a taste of being a student leader on campus, I realized, man, I really love speaking into other people's lives. Mm. And actually at the time I was a graduate assistant football coach at CSU Wow. And uh, I remember after my two years of being a GA, I thought, man, I, I I like football. I'm kind of getting tired of it. But at the same time, I love the athletes. So mm. I knew I wanted to work with college students, athletes. 
And uh, immediately after college, I had an opportunity to become a college pastor at a, at a church here in town wow. um, in Fort Collins, where Colorado State University is. And mm -hmm. so said yes to that. So I was a college pastor. Then we planted a church after that. And we did that for about 12 and a half years in a local church. But then there was just longing in my heart and just realizing I love this. I love the local church. I think it's wonderful and it's great. Mm. And at the same time, I think I think there's something different that God wants for me. Mm. And so we resigned from, you know, this church that we had planted that was exploding. It was going great. It was going wonderful. And um, we resigned, not knowing exactly what we would do, but the Lord made it pretty clear that I was to join staff. We were, my wife and I were to join staff with Athletes yeah. in Action. And so um, I think the reason I love working with athletes, whether it's college athletes, mm. Olympic athletes, pro athlete, is, you know, if, if our call as followers of Christ is to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing mm. them in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Yeah. If the Great Commission is true, and that's what we're supposed to do, then I want to influence and pour my life into people mm. that can make a greater influence than I ever can. Like, yeah. I don't have the voice that, that some are, or the platform that some athletes do. Yeah. Um, so if I want to see that happen, what would happen if I invest in those that can go make that happen on a greater scale? So yeah. that's why I love working with athletes. It's not the lifestyle. It's mm -hmm. not the sport. It's yeah. just, man, how much, how much kingdom impact can we make? Yeah. And I've just found for me, the way that God shaped my life, mm. it's through this avenue called sport. It's amazing. It's amazing, Reza. And I just appreciate you sharing honestly of God's calling, right, in your life to, to serve through athletics and using that platform, right? And I think that leads well into my next question for our listeners, right? They're they're working in this industry. They're on the other side of the athlete, right? Yeah. But they're they're still involved in an in industry with a platform. So, totally. what, what makes sports such a powerful gospel platform as compared to other industries? Well, I think that sport is a language. Competition in sport is a language the entire world speaks. There's two languages everybody speaks: art and sports. Yep. Like, you don't, I don't have to speak Portuguese to be able to go to a art museum in Portugal and see like, oh, that's a beautiful painting. Yeah. Like there's just something in my soul that mm. resonates with it. Yeah. And if there's a group of kids, boys and girls that are sitting in a, in, in South America at a park or in Kansas at a park, you throw a soccer ball in there, they all know what to do with it. Yeah. Like there's just something about sport and competition, just like art, that it that it's uniting. You don't have to verbally speak the same language to be connected. And so mm. that's why I think sport is such a valuable tool. That there's something ingrained mm. in us that loves to compete, that loves to like exert energy, mm. that just loves to be a part of team. Um, and, I, and and people find that other areas, uh, but for me, it's been in sport. My mm. youngest. My 10-year-old daughter, her whole mission in life is to make sure everyone realizes that theater is a sport. Yeah. And so, um, because they do all the same things. But for me, you know, I actually love this idea of sports because it brings people together. And here's the other thing I'll say, and, and in our context, especially in the United States, sport literally brings together people from all over the world it on does. the same team. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's no other reason I should have been on the team with those, you know, 102 other guys that I was mm. on the team with at Colorado State. Yeah. Uh, except God brought us to this tiny little town in Fort Collins, Colorado to mm. all come together. Yeah. And that united us together. So that's why I love it so much. Yeah, I love that you pointed it out that there is something unique about sport in in the reality that it's something that everybody can understand, right? Worldwide. I mean, totally. I think about some of the biggest sporting events in the world. I think of the FIFA World Cup, right? And just yeah. how big of a deal that that really is. I uh, think about basketball even is, is becoming a, a greater global sport. And so, yes, it does 
provide a platform that is global, that brings people together. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I think it brings a level of camaraderie that other things do not, where people can unite in a similar fandom or a similar background. Yeah. I played for that team. I grew up in that city. And so I think there's a lot of ways that it can be such a powerful uh, gospel platform. So thanks for sharing on that, Reza. And you mentioned as well, before you became a follower of Jesus, you were you were a Muslim, and you grew uh-huh. up in, in partially in Iran. I think it was for three years. For, mm-hmm. And for many of our listeners, the Islamic faith and traditions is truly uncharted territory. So talk to us about your life as a Muslim and what eventually led you to accept Christ as Savior. Yeah, I think for me, it's a, it's, it's a little bit different. Uh, one, my family came from Iran during the revolution. And so there was a revolution happening where the Ayatollah was put into power and then anyone who didn't want anything to do with that kind of escaped. So I think one thing for me, like my parents, when we came to the United States, although we were still Muslim, mm-hmm. there was already starting to become this little bit of a resistance towards the ways of Islam mm-hmm. uh, because of the way that Islam has has completely ruined the Iranian, I mean, the country of Iran. It, mm-hmm. it, it's 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 horrible what yeah. has happened to this country where my 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 heritage is from. Mm-hmm. And I think so over the years, we're in the United States. I mean, we would still uphold some of the Muslim traditions, some of the cultural things we would definitely uphold. Over the course of my time, over the course of my life, especially my teenage years, my parents completely walked away from Islam. Hmm. They would not call themselves Christians, um, but that was still who we are. And I think one of the things about Islam, Islam's a lot, it's not necessarily um, like a faith that, that, that we would know. It's not like something, hey, you necessarily choose. Hmm. It's your heritage. It's yeah. your culture. This is who you are. It is your it is your identity, but not in the way of like your identity, like we view identity in Christ. It is like, no, that your your identity is your religion. Your identity is your culture. Mm. Culture is your identity, not your individual relationship. Mm. So that's one of the main differences uh, between the two. Yeah. But I think for me, um, and I didn't inherently know this. This was not going on in my mind the yeah. moment you know, when I came to know the Lord. I came to know the Lord because over the course of a summer, some missionaries moved into the apartment complex next door to me. Mm. And for eight weeks, they were there for all of June and all of July. Mm. We barbecued and hung out and got to know each other. And it, so we built an eight-week relationship. Wow. And then the night before they left, they shared the gospel with me. Mm. So they spent eight weeks getting to know me. Yeah. After getting to know me for eight weeks, I was like, dude, I believe anything you say. Like, you yeah. all are phenomenal. You care yeah. about me. And so their relationship was built. But now that I know, now that I know more about Islam, now that I know the character of God, the mm. God that we serve. Yeah. Uh, Muslims would say Allah and the God that we serve are the same. They're absolutely not completely different characteristics. But um, in Islam, you follow the five pillars. And if you do the five pillars good enough, then you have a chance to even be considered to go into paradise, where on judgment day, Allah gets to get gets to say, yes, you get to go in or no, you don't. So you spend your whole life not knowing, hmm. man, am I doing good enough? Am I doing the five pillars? Have I, have I done the things that I'm supposed to do. Whereas in Christianity, the work's done. Like Jesus died on the cross and we receive that and we walk in faith. Mm. Um, We, we walk in faith with the hope that is in Christ in Mm. us completely different. And again, at the time at 19 years old, sitting in that apartment complex that, that, you know, July evening, I didn't know any of this, but now looking back, it's like, Oh yeah, it makes so much more sense Mm. that God wanted to be in relationship with me. Mm. So that's how I. That's how I've come to know yeah. the difference, and then who this God is. And yeah. I also think the way that you view God. My favorite quote is by A. W. Tozer. Yeah, 
what you think about God is the most important thing mm -hmm. about you. Because if you view God as one that you have to please, that you have to perform for, that you have to do the five pillars for, and you're still not certain, like, how he feels about you, like, that's the definition of paranoia. Yeah. Like, how do I know? Whereas, like, man, I know that I get to be in relationship with this God. Mm. Like, I know that I get to be with him. The characteristics of the God that we serve is not the characteristics of a God that wants us to perform for him. Mm. It's a God that wants us to perform or live with him. There's a huge difference between the two. Certainly, certainly, Reza. And I, I appreciate you sharing because I, I really think it's important to understand that part of your story. And, and I love that you pointed out, too, the certainty that we can have in Christ yeah. in, in our salvation. And I think especially this Advent season, that is something that should be top of mind is, is the Messiah uh, in the certainty of, of salvation he provided us. So thanks for sharing on that. It's so yeah, pivotal. Bro. It's so pivotal. It, it's the hope that gives us the ability, right, to walk out God's statutes and God's commands and even his great commission. Uh, I, I truly believe that peace leads us to love him more uh, and, and yeah. to be to be able to obey. So I love that. That's a good way of saying it, yeah. Amen. 100%. And Reza, I want to I get into now discipleship, and I love that I checked yeah. out your, your website. It's It's a great website. And you said that your ministry has a three-step process, which is to win, build, and send athletes that you're ministering with. So talk us through yeah. each of those steps and how they can help build disciples. Yeah, so win, build, send. Um, I mean, it's not mine. It's Crew, Campus Crusade, which yeah. Athletes and Action is a part of. That's our yeah. whole model is win, win people to Christ, build them up in the faith, send them out yeah. to live their life in this world. Mm -hmm. So I think win, build, and send is so important. But I think, you know, focusing on the discipleship piece, the build piece, you know, a whole lot. I had a mentor tell me once, the way that you come to know the Lord is typically going to be the way that's going to like inform the way you do ministry. Mm, and yeah. I thought about that a lot. And yeah. so I, that's why I really emphasize eight week relationship that I had with these people that share the gospel with me. Um, you know, my whole ministry model is doing life with people. It's, and I think that's why inherently, like as much as I I loved serving the local church, being a pastor, preaching up front, which I still love to teach, like I just didn't feel like I had the opportunity to live with people and yeah. to do ministry with people. There were so many things that had to be done for the weekend service. And so again, there, I, I bless all those that are able to do that. Mm. But for me, I wanted to be building eight week long relationships with people. Mm. And so that's why I stepped into the role that we stepped into. And I think when I think of discipleship, when I think of the the, the win, the, the win part is like the evangelism piece. And people get scared of evangelism, but yeah. I've always, always said, if you know how to make a friend, you know how to how to share the gospel. Because yeah. that's really all it is. Yeah. Is if you can make a friend with somebody, you just live your life authentically, that is evangelism. Like yeah. you don't have to like walk them through a Roman's road sitting at coffee for it to be to be evangelism. Yeah. But I think the build piece is so key, like because that's the living life, that's life on life. I would say my my most favorite discipleship relationship I ever had was with my friend Josh. I was a college pastor at the time, and um, we were both like, hey, let's run a half marathon. Let's just do this. Let's run a half marathon together, which meant we'd be training together. We'd be running mm. together. Yeah. And we went on like, I don't know, I think we did like a, it was like a two or three month program. I don't remember what it was, a training program. And we probably, we tried to run together at least twice a week for those those twice a week for those two or three months were like, that was discipleship mm. because we're jogging along and we're running and we're talking about life. Like we're literally like running quote unquote the race alongside one another. And so that's been a model of discipleship for me is like, 
And I remember during that time, our babies were brand new. And, yeah. you know, I'd say, hey, Josh, I got to run to Target to go grab some diapers. You want to come with me? And um, he was a college student at the time. So to me, like discipleship, the goal of discipleship, I think, is is the relationship and connection, hmm. not the curriculum. Yeah. We make it about curriculum. The curriculum, the curriculum, just a springboard. It's just a springboard to conversation. Yeah. But true discipleship is is conversation and living life with people. I actually think we don't have, we truly don't have money records of what shaped the disciples as much like i i don't think we have records i think what shaped the disciples more than the miracles and the teachings was literally walking down the road from galilee to jerusalem mm, yeah. and sitting around campfires and the conversations after the miracles to me i wonder like how much more weight those had than feeding the five thousand. which again feeding the five thousand, phenomenal i wish yeah. i could see that yeah. But you and I both know our lives can't be sustained by these miraculous moments mm. that most of life is lived in the ordinary. So I yeah. think discipleship and apprenticeship, which is what discipleship is, is being an apprentice of somebody, um, actually happens in the mundane, everyday mm. stuff yeah. of life. It does. It does. I, I love that point. I really do, because I think my, my, my next question actually talks about how hard winning people to Christ can really be and sometimes that is a genuine barrier for people is why well, I just I don't, I don't know how that I can really evangelize that's so scary to me and I think when we think of evangelism at least when I think of evangelism I could be could be wrong on this is walking around sharing the gospel with people that we don't know and, and certainly that's a wonderful way to do it and sometimes how that mm -hmm. it, it just goes down right you can't build relationships with everyone but I did love your point right that that your experience the eight-week relationship you built was what eventually led you to Christ. And I think that is something that, that, that we can apply. And, and Reza, I just, I want to ask another question, a follow-up. How can people feel comfortable or, or get more comfortable with the winning stage? What are some things they can do to feel more comfortable with winning people to Christ? Yeah, I think first and foremost, recognizing <clears throat> that evangelism is something that we're called to do and at the same time, I think some of the methods, I, th I think we've got evangelism mixed up with the methods, just mm -hmm. like you mentioned. Yeah. We think evangelism is walking up to people on the street. We think it's holding the megaphone on the corners. We think it's a street preachers, which again, I, 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 I'm not, I'm not one of those people that like throw street preachers out with the bathwater. Like, yeah. dude, there's some, there's some incredible men of faith that have come to know the Lord through through street preaching. So yeah. it's a, it's a great man. People, it works. Yeah. People scoff at it. People laugh at it, but, but whatever, but that's not evangelism. Like evangelism is just living your life with other people. Yeah. Um, I think like, I think one of the coolest things we're called to be witnesses, you know, acts one eight, that you will be my witnesses mm. in these different regions. Yeah. So I think as you think of the word witness, I actually like to think about that word more than I like to think of the word evangelism. Mm. Because if you think of what a witness does, a witness in a court of law, a witness doesn't have to ha doesn't have to like convince anybody of anything. That's not the witness's job. Yeah. If I get called in as a witness, if I saw a car accident, they're not going to ask me who's at fault. That's not my job to mm. say who's at fault. All they're simply going to say is, "Hey, tell us what you saw. Give us your account mm. of what's happened." Yeah. And if I'm going to go witnessing, if I'm going to go witness on behalf of Christ, 
I'm not going to try to convince anybody of anything. I'm just going to say, man, this is my experience. Mm. This is what I've seen. This is why I live my life this way. Or if I do something or don't do something and someone's like, hey, how come? Like, why are you like this? I got a buddy that lives next door and um, he's awesome. I mean, he's fantastic. He's he since moved. But when we first moved into this house, he was next door and, and uh, dude, the guy cusses like no, no other. And I mean, like cusses to the point where like my kids are in the room and he doesn't even think twice. He's like dropping all these, you know, bombs left and right. And it's kind of funny. My kids are just laughing. Yeah. But one day we were golfing together. He's like, hey, Reza, why don't you ever cuss? And so I said, well, I'm glad you brought up cussing because, bro, stop doing it in front of my kids. <laughs> but um, he was just like asking because like we spent time together. Mm. We got to know each other. We hung out. And when he asked me that, I didn't have to convince him that cussing was bad. That's not at all what I was doing. It was just more of a, hey, this is why I choose to live my life this way. This is why I say things and don't say things. Mm. Um, so, again, it's being a witness. Yeah. And I also think I think a great picture of this is in John chapter three and four, mm. John three and four, Jesus has three interactions with three different people. One is a religious leader, Nicodemus. One is a woman at the well. And the other one is a royal official who needed, who needed healing in his family. Mm. All three of those interactions, Jesus, Jesus didn't give an apologetic. He just answered questions of Nicodemus. Yeah. He affirmed the, he affirmed the validity of, of, of the idea of the, you know, the, the, uh, person who the woman at the well was like just validated her as a human and the royal official he just served he just did something that that guy needed done mm. to me that's what evangelism is that's yeah. what witnessing is it's yeah. not and none of those conversations that jesus stopped the conversation and say are you ready to accept me into your life yeah. um so true. he just he just yeah. answered questions and had conversations with them and mm. and then people were like man there's something about this i want to get to know mm. so that's awesome. so i think that's how as we think about our jobs as we think mm. about like everyone listening to this podcast is working in an environment that is um that is cutthroat like we all yeah. know yeah. the sports world is a yeah. cutthroat world it is and at the same time what a beautiful opportunity to mm. be able to to live authentically yeah. and to just be who you are and allow others to ask the questions and us realize we don't have to convince anybody. We just got to give a, give an account for why we believe what we believe. I love the way you put that Reza. It's, it's so true, right? You think about the word witness, it's not convincing. And I actually came to, to know Christ through the form of apologetics. That was a lot of, of my story. So I found myself in a lot of positions where I'm trying to convince and I've had to learn from experience that that often does not work. Uh, it can, certainly it can. And, and there's yeah. been tons of stories where that convincing process can work. Um, but I love what you said and, and the example as well, right? If you're your buddy that you golf with that witness, oh, man, I think we can under, under appreciate the importance of our actions in the way that we live around non-believers. I think it, it can really speak volumes and mm -hmm. people, and people will come to notice that there is something different. You know, it, it might be something like cussing that is obvious. It may just be how you serve, how you talk to people, um, the way yeah. that you interact with with waiters and servers and people in your life. I think those things that seem minute 
can have a huge impact. So I love that you brought oh, that up. Absolutely. And may even give our listeners confidence that they're already doing evangelism without really even realizing it. Without right? even knowing it. That's the big, I think most people are doing evangelism. Totally. They just realize it. Totally. I, I would 100% agree. I think that's a, definitely an encouragement for our listeners as they continue to strive to honor Christ in this industry. And Reza, you mentioned as well that that this industry is, is cutthroat. And, and I think there are unique challenges, temptations, and pressures that come with being in sports, either as an athlete or as someone that's working in it, that are not present in other industries. And obviously, you've spent a lot of time in this industry. What are some of those common barriers that hold athletes or even people that work in sports back from a committed relationship with Christ? Oh, well, one, I think it's just the the fear the fear of like, man, if I'm going to make a stand, am I going to be accepted? Man, am yeah. I going to be shunned? Am I going to be weak? Dude, there is such a, there is such a um, perspective that Christianity is weak. There's yeah. such a perspective that Christianity is judgmental. It's this, it's that. Mm. And in the, just even the political climate we live in, of course, we're going to be worried about sharing our faith. Like that's just the truth. That's a reality. And that's, totally. we could talk about culture, cancer culture, but, but, that's not our job to talk about that here, but at the same time, it's a reality we have to deal with. Mm -hmm. I think one thing is like, nobody, nobody has an issue. I've never met anyone that has said they have an issue with Jesus hmm. or the ways of Jesus. Yeah. I've never met that. I've definitely met a lot of people that have issues with the church and a lot of it. I can understand yeah. why they have issues with the church or Christianity, cultural Christianity, but nobody, nobody I know has ever said, yeah, stop acting. So Jesus like, like yeah. that's, Stop treating me that way. Stop yeah. loving your enemies. Stop being integral. Stop, um, you know, stop watching what you say, you know, mm. stop not talking behind people's back, you know? Yeah. So I think there's ways in which we can live out our faith without being, um, now I'm going to be careful how I say this. I want you to know, I am a Christian. I love Jesus. <laughs> My faith is in Christ yeah. and in Christ alone. And at the same time, like, I don't need to wear the Christian label everywhere I go. Mm. I don't need to put a fish on my shirt every time I'm interacting with somebody mm. um, because it's just not appropriate. Even yeah. in my job, even, you know, for us people that work in pro sports, like in a way, as much as I love Jesus, I want to be bold for him. I can't like, I've got to be wise and shrewd and mm. have incredible discernment on how I talk to people when I talk to people because that's their place of work. Like yeah. it's, it's like walking into a bank and a bank teller doing their job and I'm sitting there, you know, preaching the gospel and like speaking, you know, the words of revelation to them. Like that's just not appropriate. So yeah, yeah. I think to give us a little bit um, more freedom and just to release us from pressures, even if we're a Christian, a committed Christian in the jobs that we do, it doesn't mean we have to like Christianize everything we say. Yeah. Because we do have to be wise. I mean, even Jesus himself was wise and just said, hey, don't tell the Pharisees about this. It's not, it's just not appropriate for them to know right now because they're going to flip out. And if they flip out right now, I'm not going to be able to do the work that I was supposed to do. Mm. So in some ways, I've got to hold back yeah. so that I can do kingdom work later on. Yeah. Amen. And I just think that's I just think that's a wise thing for us to do. I think totally. you know who modeled this really well was Paul. For as bold as Paul was to his letters to Christians. Paul wasn't that way to non-Christians. Mm. He wasn't that way to the to the um, religious leaders and the thought leaders in Acts 17. Yeah. He was very respectful of them and spoke on their level. Mm. And 
and I think sometimes we have lost the art. We have lost the art of subtle um, Christianity. Mm, like, yeah. um, there's a reason Jesus says be salt. And so I just wonder what it would look like for us to yeah. sprinkle our conversations with salt, mm. the kingdom salt, rather than being a salt block and just yeah. plop it right down into the midst of the conversation. Mm, that's so good. So good, Reza. And I think that's really a, an, an awesome point and something that can be really applicable of how we go about discipleship, how we go about sharing our faith. There is, I think, at least I've felt this pressure. I'm not sure if you feel the same sometimes, that if I have a conversation with somebody or if I'm out you know, doing, doing discipleship or doing ministry work or sitting down with a friend and I don't get to the core elements of the gospel, like the five steps of what Christ has done, I can almost feel like I failed that conversation or I failed. <laughs> and I don't know if that's always true, and I've had to check myself on that. Uh, in, in especially in recent months of, of I can have a conversation, be loving, have a meal with someone. It may not get to a gospel, but it was still sprinkling the salt as you as you mentioned in that last analogy. So I think that's an awesome point. Let's let's be wise, right? You, you may yeah. you may not want to walk into the office of the general manager and uh, during one of his very important off season draft meetings and, and drop the gospel on him. That may not land well. So I think uh, to your point. Uh, and I think I and we gotta think, man. Like, I think, yeah. I, I man, I got some phenomenal advice from from you know guys that mentored me in this yeah. NFL chaplain world, men that have been chaplains for 20, 30 plus years mm. on one team. And so it's like I better listen to what they say because one, they were there when NFL chaplaincy started. Two, they lasted three decades with the team. So mm. I better like shut my mouth and not think I know everything. And man, I would say the biggest piece of advice I got is, um, dude, you're a guest. Every time you walk into that place, Mm. you are an invited guest. And the moment you start feeling entitled that you get to do something, that's when you shouldn't be doing it anymore. Mm. And so I have to interact with everyone in that facility as a guest. Yeah. I love that. And that takes humility as well, right? We have to live with that. Uh, mm-hmm. Christ-like humility as we step into these opportunities. Uh, even for yeah. our listeners, a lot of them are young professionals, and so maybe yeah. they're an intern or a graduate assistant and, and oftentimes lower on the totem pole within an organization. And so oh. I think that humility will take you far, yeah. not just professionally, like, yeah, for sure professionally, but let's forget about that. Nice. I think even just with gospel fruit, right, and being a yeah. good witness, that humility totally. will be huge. So love that point. That's a great Reza. And you just mentioned you're currently the chaplain with the Broncos, and we talked about that in the intro. But I would love for you to share a couple of things. First, how has your ministry with pro athletes challenged your approach to ministry? And then what blessings has this opportunity provided you? Yeah, man. I would say this. It's funny. So I I think every pastor in the world, anyone who preaches or speaks, should do some sort of a chapel service because I, I get... So I get 30 minutes is my chapel time mm. like that I have. And I know if the guys are late to the next meeting, it doesn't matter if they stopped and talked and went to the bathroom, like I'm going to get in trouble. Yeah. So I am done in 24 minutes. Like I am on the dock 24 minutes, say what I need to say. Mm. And it's interesting how, like I've always said everything I needed to say in 24 minutes that, that I find that I don't need to preach for 45 minutes or 50 minutes mm-hmm. to get a point across. Yeah. So that's one thing that I think everyone should do it just to realize you can communicate what you need to communicate quickly. Mm. Um, but I think 
some of the things that I love um, in this chaplaincy world, I laugh and I say NFL chaplaincy sounds or sports chaplaincy in general, it sounds much more glamorous than it is. Yeah. Like I, it is, it is a job. It is something that I do. Yes. I work with people that are really well known. And at the same time, it's a difficult job mm. because you're working with people that are continually judged for what they produce and you're working with a group of people that are always suspicious of what people want from them. Mm. And so to be able to bridge that gap and to realize and to say, hey, dude, I don't need anything from you, but I need to mean that. And yeah. I've seen a lot of chaplains. They need their athletes. Mm. They need to be able to say, I'm the chaplain of this team. They need to wear the gear. They need to post it on social media. Like if you have a need to be known, then it's not the right role for you. Mm. Um, and your need to get known to be known will be revealed quickly if you enter into sports chaplaincy on any level, college, pro, Olympic, whatever it is. Like mm. it'll be it'll be exposed quickly. And so yeah. I would say that's the one thing is recognizing my identity is not based on being the chaplain of the team. Mm. Um, I recognize this is the Lord's. The Lord is the one who establishes chaplains. Yeah. The Lord is the one that establishes leaders and takes them away. Amen. Every year I have. By literally by the grace of God, this was my fourth head coach in seven seasons in Denver. And for some way, somehow, I have no idea how I'm still here. Because typically, when a coach changes, the chaplain changes too. Yeah. But some way, somehow, the Lord has kept me in this place. Mm -hmm. So I recognize it is the Lord's hand that has kept me here. It's not my skill. Mm -hmm. It's not my intellect. It's not because I'm likable. It's not because I'm doing a good job. It's literally the Lord's hand. Amen. But I, I think one of the greatest blessings is getting to know the getting to know the couples, yeah. um, getting to know the guys' lives, asking about their kids, helping them shape what it means to be a father, helping them shape what it means to be a husband. Mm. Um, someone asked me, how do you know if you're succeeding as a chaplain? And I say, I have no idea right now, but give me <laughs> give me 15 years yeah, yeah. and let me see the kids and the marriages of the guys I'm influencing right now. And then I'll let you know if their time in Denver with me was successful or not. Mm. Are they still remembering some of the principles of marriage and walking as a godly man and being a husband and a father, see if mm. those have landed or not. Yeah. Um, because to be honest, our chapel talks, like what I talk about on the Saturday night before games, um, I don't even bring up football. Like it's not my job to bring up football mm. and every, I don't, I don't even, none of my, none of my illustrations are like talking about when you're out mm. on the field, think, like that's, a, that's not even my role. Yeah. It's all like, I view it as, I've got, you know, I don't, I'm not, I'm not a mm. chaplain. I don't travel with the team. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we, we don't, our, our team doesn't travel at chaplain. Mm -hmm. So for me, I have typically nine, maybe 10, depending on the schedule, mm. nine to 10 times a year that I get to preach to my guys. Wow. So I look at it as a church, unless we make the playoffs, then mm. it's going to be more. Yeah. Which I haven't tasted that yet in Denver. Yeah. I've been there. But, um, but literally it's like, and I've told the guys this, I was like, when I pray about and think about what to teach at chapel services, the way I view you guys is a church that I get to preach to 10 times a year. Mm. And so I think to myself, what are the 10 most important principles that I want you to grasp this season in this season of your life wow. as you go on to be a godly man? So that's, that's how I have to view it mm. is what are the 10 most important things I want them to know. Yeah. So Love that, Reza. I think what stood out to me in your response was not caring about being known, 
Man, this industry, and I, I've been around. I, I was a student manager at Butler, and I work with the Timberwolves right now part-time. I work with the Colts as an intern. I got to see a lot of what this industry can tempt you to be, and it can for sure make you feel like you are better than the general fan, general public, and it can make you feel that you deserve to be known. Um, uh-huh. And, man, I love that you said that, that as a chaplain, I really think any Christian that works in this industry, that should never be your main goal. Uh, it should be to serve yeah. in the role God has given you and to use it as a ministry. And so I was encouraged by that. And, and even just the ways yeah. that you're using your role, using that platform that God has graciously given you. I think our listeners can all learn from that point too, that it is God's hand that has placed you where you are. So stu- steward that well, like steward that gift well. It may not be your favorite thing, right? If you're an intern, you know, I, I was an, an intern a few times. You may not even get paid. Right, but use that, steward it for God's glory. So love, love those yeah. points and, and where God has placed you. That's huge. And that's hard, man. I get it. I get it for the GAs. Yeah. Man, do I got to place my heart for G? I was a walk-on too. Yeah. I was a walk-on and a GA. So man, yeah. I know what it's like to be stepped on and stepped over. 100%. Um, 100%. But yeah, dude, we do this for something else. We do it for another reason. Amen. And I'll say this too. Athletes can sniff out when you're in it for something diff- for something else. Yeah. yeah. They know it. Whether it's a coordinator or a position coach or a PR guy, like athletes can tell yep. why people are in it. And this is why I always say, like, man, my, my biggest advice to you know the chaplains I do, I do work with all the chaplains and all the four sports, four major male sports, and starting to work more with WNBA and, and women's soccer. But um Dude, your social media is so like your athletes are watching it. Yeah. And if you're posting a lot about you and being on the team and wearing that gear, it's going to be seen. So um, I don't do any of that. I mean, I have a social media. I love social media. I don't think it's the enemy. I think how you use it is. But, you know, for me, I really try not to mention at all what I do. One, because I'm a guest of the team. I don't represent the team. So I can't do that. Yeah. That's so good, Reza. Yeah, I think the social media aspect is – it's so common, right, in our listeners, right? Gen Z and social media just tend to go together. I'm, I'm in that generation, so I, I think I can relate to that. And I think how we use that is, yeah. is an important element, too. And Reza, I think something that we all know, right, is, is the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 16 to 20. For you, what, what would you say it practically looks like to be in obedience to Jesus' command in Matthew 28 of, of the Great Commission? Yeah, well, I think it views, I think it depends on understanding that passage well. You know, that, that phrase, go and make disciples of all nations, the, the Greek is as you go. Mm. So I think it's more of an as you go about your life. It's not necessarily get up on an airplane, grab your passport, go overseas. <laughs> I think it's as you go about your life, make disciples. And that word all nations is, eth- is, is where we get the word ethnicity, ethnos. Mm. And so ethnos is ethnic groups or you could say groups of people Mm. you could say you know specific ethnicity of people or you could say hey different um interest groups of people Mm. when i was a college pastor it was man there was the theater group there was the you know there was the athletes there was the frat boys there was the sorority girls there was all of this like those are all different groups of people those are different ethnic ethnos different cultures of people Mm. so i think i think the way to live out that passage is think about this as you go about your life as you go up and down that elevator as you go in and out of that cafeteria as you're running around on game day passing around grabbing papers and getting things to pr people and media and you know Mm. laying out shirts for students all of that stuff as you go about that 
man, just be aware who's around you mm. and make as many friends as possible and be the witness. All you got to yeah. do is just be a witness and live yeah. your life. And, um, but then be ready, you know, because Jesus also said, and teach them everything I've commanded you. So there yeah. is an element of knowing the scriptures. There's yeah. an element of knowing how I would challenge everyone listening here. Like, do you know how to articulate your faith? Can you articulate mm. your faith in five minutes or less? Yeah. And can you say, this is what the gospel is. This is why I believe. And if not, that's okay. Let's find, mm. let's figure that out. Let's find a way for you to be able to communicate the gospel in a clear and concise way. Man, Reza, I love that. And I love what you said at the beginning of as you go, right? Like, it's so easy to think that if I'm not international, if I'm not in that area of unreached people, and to be clear, I do think ministry to unreached peoples is so important. And Without a doubt. And 100% Without a doubt. want to give. Dude, I'm going to tell you a secret. Your, your listeners probably can think I'm like, like I'm not a Christian. And I said, I don't enjoy overseas mission trips. Like I've led them. I've gone to different places. Maybe it's because this is my overseas mission. I was born in Iran. I, and this is my overseas mission. I don't know. But I love, I love the honesty. I think God puts passions and hearts. Like for me, dude, when I was a college pastor, I had some other college pastor friends, man, they would go to like Haiti and they would go here and there. And I was like, oh man, that's good that you do it. I've done it. I would much rather go downtown at two in the morning when the bars get out and talk to all the drunk frat boys. Like that's what I would rather do. But again, I think God puts different things in different Mm, people. And so we don't need to put God in a box. We don't need to put ourselves in a box. We can just be who God makes us to be and have the freedom. Agreed. Agreed a thousand percent. You even think about, I mean, the, the earliest apostles had different ministries. You know, Peter was ministering to the Jews and, and Paul was ministering to the Gentiles and they were given yep. a certain group. Right. And Paul definitely traveled more than Peter. Right. It wasn't like Peter was a bad Christian because he didn't travel as much. Right? Totally. That's, that's totally. the reality of their ministries. So yep. could not agree more. And I think that does encourage Absolutely. people a ton because it's like, wow, like I don't have to do, I don't have to leave my job in sports necessarily. Maybe God will call you to that. But now I don't have to do that necessarily to be in obedience to this, right? I oh, without a doubt. In my you are where you are. And this is the other thing I would say, bro, is like, you are where you are because God has you there. Yeah. yeah. God has you there for this moment. He doesn't have you there so that something in the future can. He's powerful enough to use it so that something happens in the future. Amen. But this isn't just a this isn't just a preparation season. Yeah, this is the season. Like Amen. this is the season. He's going to use you in season and out of season. He's going to use you in this season, and he's going to prepare you for whatever he has for you in the future. But yep. but man, we would be lying to ourselves if we thought, man, I'm just an intern. What difference can I make? Are you kidding me? Like, um, I was a GA, and I've got two coaches that I worked for. I have two coaches that I worked for that I didn't even think liked me. <laughs> that like started going to the church I pastored and wow. I was their GA like, wow. and it happened because I was just, I just served them well mm. and how I treated them. So yeah, yeah, yeah. man, you know, this, in this industry, <laughs> you better not burn no bridges because everybody right. knows each other. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent agree. I, I love that point too, that we can be in the season now and have an impact. Yeah. You don't need to be the head coach. You don't need to be the GM. Do it now. And, and God can use that. Yep. And also, I, I always keep top of mind when, when James teaches on the brevity of our lives. And we have no idea mm-hmm. when, when God may take us out of this world. And so uh, I think it's wise to use the time we have uh, for his glory yeah. and, and not think yeah, that, we that we can wait because that, that may not be the case. So love that point. And my last question for you, Reza, is 
just simply, what advice would you give our listeners who are desiring to do ministry in their roles in sports? First and foremost, man, I think first and foremost, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Mm. Um, and love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. That's Those aren't my words. Those are Jesus' yeah. words. I, yeah. I think sometimes, I wouldn't just say this in sports. I would say sometimes in life, we think that ministry is these active, specific efforts that we engage in. But if we're truly going to be living sacrifices, mm. that just means we 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 just live our lives. Yeah. And we just live our lives before God and just do what he asks us to do. Yeah. And that's that's it. That's what that that's mm. what our life is about. Yeah. It's just doing what he asks us to do. And so interact with who he asks us to interact with. Mm. Um I have stopped, and I know this can be a little bit weird sometimes, but I've stopped. I've stopped thinking things just coincidences or interactions or coincidences. Someone, someone told me that coincidences are just God's way of staying anonymous. And I just don't know if it's a coincidence that you're in the office with that person that you're in with. I don't think it's a coincidence that you happen to be walking down the hallway and you look over and you see someone walking towards you that just seems to be wrestling. Mm. Um, I think, I think just look around you and to see, man, just do what's in front of you. That's what I see is, and do it well. I think do your job really well. Um, Engage in what you're supposed to engage in, have pride in what you do and what you provide. And remember that your worth is not dependent upon what people think of you or Mm. how much money you're getting or not getting or your title. Your worth is, is, is out of this world, literally. Yeah. And, um, um, I know it's easier said than accepted, but mm-hmm. it's true. It is. It is, Reza. And I, I think that's wonderful advice that our listeners can apply. And, and just thanks so much for your time. I think uh, your ministry is valuable and your ministry is, is fun. Thanks, right? you, you get to work with, with athletes, but I think that our listeners can learn from what you share. So thanks for your time, brother. Thanks for being here. Yeah, bro. This. Thank you for what you all do, man. I love what you guys do in the world of sport. It's, it's mm. vital. If you want to get involved with Uncommon Sports Group and the mission that we are on to help you navigate the sport industry as followers of Christ, apply for our academy on our website at uncommonsg.org. That's uncommonsg.org. Be sure to catch new episodes of the Uncommon Podcast every other week on Thursdays at midnight Eastern time. Until next time, we pray that you will strive to be uncommon by glorifying the name of God in whatever you may do. See you next time.